How do you practice awareness and acceptance? How have they helped you to take actions that change the things you can change? Welcome to episode 380 of The Recovery Show. This episode is brought to you by Michael, Gina, Renee, Shauna, Paula, and Amber. They used the donation button on our website. Thank you, Michael, Gina, Renee, Shauna, Paula, and Amber for your generous contributions. This episode is for you. We are friends and family members of alcoholics and addicts who have found a path to serenity and happiness. We who live or have lived with the seemingly hopeless problem of addiction understand as perhaps few others can. So much depends on our own attitudes, and we believe that changed attitudes can aid recovery. Before we begin, we would like to state that in this show, we represent ourselves rather than any 12-step program. During this show, we will share our own experiences. The opinions expressed here are strictly those of the person who gave them. Take what you like and leave the rest. We hope that you will find something in our sharing that speaks to your life. Recently, Eric and I were invited to share at an online AA conference as the Alamont speakers. Eric shared on awareness and I shared on acceptance. Here are our talks. Hi, everybody. My name is Eric B. I'm a grateful member of the Worldwide Fellowship of Alamont. My home group is in Greenwich, Connecticut. I've been in the Alamont program for about 14 years. First of all, thank you for inviting me to share my experience today at this amazing event. We were asked to share on something from Bill W.'s writings. I had not read these, but I found a few references to a topic that I've chosen. And this is from July 1946. Each AA group is a safe haven, but is always circumscribed by the tyrant alcohol. Like the men on Eddie Rickenbacker's raft. Don't know what that is. We who live in the haven of AA cling together with an intensity of purpose, which the outside world seldom apprehends. The anarchy of the individuals melts away. Self-love love subsides and democracy begins a reality. We begin to know true freedom of the spirit. The awareness grows that all is well, that each of us may implicitly trust in him who is our loving guide from within and from above. The next reading is from The Great Five, July 1965. Some of our more obvious perils will always attach to money, to controversies within AA, and to the ever-present temptation to scramble within AA and outside for distinction, prestige, and even power. The world around us today is shattered by these untoward forces. As drinkers, we have been more subject to these forms of destruction than most other people. Here, thank God, we do have, and I trust we shall continue to have, a tremendous amount of awareness of our responsibilities for improvement. Interesting way to put it, our responsibilities for So, as this is predominantly an AA anniversary event, I thought I'd start with a few readings from our literature. When I came in, I bought every book that was offered in Al-Anon. The three, we have three daily readers. We have Courage to Change, Hope for Today, or Adult Children of Alcoholics Primarily, and One Day at a Time, among others. I was a pack mule of Al-Anon literature. I started with Courage to Change, and I read it cover to cover, probably in the first week, identifying, highlighting, underlining, uh, dog-earing, large swaths of almost every page. I didn't know how whoever wrote this could see exactly into my head. Every page seemed to ring true and loud. I don't think I even noticed or cared that there was a date on top of the page. It's a daily reader. I thought by the end of this book, they're just going to tell me how to stop us from drinking. It just turned over to January 1st again. No luck. So then I bought this one, How Al-Anon Works. I figured if you want to know how something works, get a book that says how it works, <laughs> dummy. <clears throat> so I got this book. So obviously I thought I'd go to the index in this book, and they're going to tell me somewhere in the index is going to be a chapter on how to get them to stop drinking, right? Yeah. Again, no such luck. Maybe I was the one that needed to wake up and become aware of what I could do. Aha. Chapter five. Becoming aware. We come to Al-Anon seeking change. We want to end our pain, and we turn to Al-Anon in hope of finding out what to do. 
but we aren't yet ready to take action, no matter how eager we are or how impatient we feel. Change is a process, and we at Aladon recognize that becoming aware is the first stage of this process. This involves taking an honest look at ourselves and our circumstances. Although it sounds simple, after years of hiding unpleasant aspects of our lives, reality for ourselves as well as others, most of us find an honest appraisal to be a struggle. Recognizing alcoholism. Sometimes we don't recognize alcoholism, even when it's staring us in the face. Me. Having lived with drinking for years, many have accepted it as normal and never felt overly concerned. Perhaps we'd envision alcoholics as filthy, rag-clad derelicts and never considered that our well-kept, successful friend or relative might be an alcoholic, even if his or her drinking obviously was to excess. Never occurred to us that reactions to a long-forgotten alcoholic relative could have an effect on our everyday lives years later, or that we could be adversely affected by a relationship with a sober alcoholic. Illusions about alcoholism abound, and most of us simply were not aware of the nature of the disease or its impact on us, the families and friends of alcoholics. Ignorance is neither a sin nor a crime, but it is an obstacle to seeing our situation realistically. Then, too, we may see the problems in our lives and yet fail to recognize alcoholism as the source. Perhaps we attribute these problems to finances or employment or blame, lack of time, education, opportunity for our troubles, we may consider them merely vicissitudes of life, struggles that everyone has to deal with because we've already attributed our own problems to one source or another. We fail to notice that each one fits neatly into the grand scheme of alcoholism, the family disease. There are other obstacles as well. Few of us manage to survive the chaos, confusion, and pain of an alcoholic environment without developing coping mechanisms that enabled us to protect ourselves emotionally from situations we didn't feel capable of handling. When our circumstances or feelings seem too painful or frightening, we may have distorted, suppressed, rationalized, or even ignored them altogether. Perhaps we're aware of an alcoholic's denial, but never realized that it could be a characteristic of everyone who's affected by the disease. Just as many alcoholics insist they don't have a problem and refuse to talk about their drinking, many friends and family members do not acknowledge that any problem exists. We truly cannot see, hear, feel otherwise perceive would be readily apparent to others. Ironically, because our entire lives are wrapped up in the disease outcomes, we can fail to notice its presence. I don't want to continue reading. I, I could. It's a lot. Maybe I'll just go to the end here and say, living with alcoholism caused us to suppress or ignore our emotions, our desires, our hopes. We hid our feelings in order to survive, and in time we forgot we even had feelings. We succeeded in insulating ourselves so well that we no longer participated enthusiastically in life. In attempting to protect ourselves, we let our personality slip away until we were emotionally numb. That's a mouthful. That's a head full. And so my topic is awareness. I was looking at how important it is to this subject in my recovery. And then I looked at every single step and I could put the subject of awareness on every single step. Awareness that I'm powerless and to check my attitudes when life becomes unmanageable. Awareness that I could be restored to sanity. Aware enough to make a decision, turn my will over. Aware of myself, step four. It's all about awareness, what my likes, my dislikes, my strengths, and my weaknesses. Awareness of the exact nature of my wrongs and the need to admit them to God, myself, and my person. Becoming aware when I made a mistake and become aware when I'm entirely ready, being aware of the need for humility and humble enough to ask for help. Eight, aware of who I've harmed and how. Nine, having the courage and awareness to find the time and place to make direct events. Ten, being aware when I make mistakes and have wronged someone and promptly admit it. Eleven is all about awareness and awakening. And twelve, the ultimate awakening. So awareness for me, and means awakening. I was anything but when I came in, when I stumbled into the room. So I committed Alan on as much as I could in the beginning. I got a sponsor. They did everything they would ask me. My sponsor said, stand on one leg and bark like a dog and quack like a duck. I was so I, I was told that alcoholism is a disease. I stopped fighting it. I didn't want to believe it. 
I didn't think you could go to the corner and buy a bottle of cancer. You can go buy cigarettes. So I, st- I simply stopped trying to fight it and I surrendered. So I thought to myself, where would I go if I have a loved one who has a disease and is sick? I was told people with the disease of alcoholism go to AA meetings. So I went every day because I was told when I went there that it takes 90 meetings in 90 days. I did 90 meetings, 90 days. Certainly I would learn how they cured the disease. I would go home and tell my wife, here's how they do it. Or she would co-tell me and come in with me, which she did once. How y'all do it is you don't drink and you go to meetings. <laughs> That's it. I heard this many times, the medicine we get is our ears. So that didn't work. So I went back to Ellen on full time and stopped trying to cure her by taking mess. I heard a share a few years ago in the Aladon rooms. This is kind of cool. I share this a lot with a man who's in Aladon whose daughter was sober for a young adult was sober for about a dozen years. And he was mystified why she continued to go to meetings sometimes twice a day. And he asked her, she was probably 30 and she'd been sober for a dozen years probably. And he asked her, why do you continue to go to meetings? Why do you go to meetings every day, sometimes twice a day, you've been sober? And her answer was, I want to see how awake I can get. Powerful. That stuck with me for a long time. We have the three A's in l I'm not sure you do in AA. Awareness, acceptance, and action. More on acceptance. Following me. They are in order, as are the steps for a reason. I used to blow by awareness, avoidance, denial, or ignorance. Avoidance is not one of the three A's. I realized that this was unhealthy. It created years of suffering for me and my family. And then I heard another story about a boy who was walking down the street one day or walking through a, a field and saw an old man in robes with a long beard sitting under a tree. And he was glowing. And the boy walked up to the man and staring at him, the old man. He said, excuse me, sir, um, are you a magician? And the man looked up and said, no, sir, I'm not a magician. And the boy asked the old man, are you a god? And the old man said, no, I'm not a god. Son. And the boy said, what are you? And the old man said, I am awake. So my story, I got stuck in the one, two, three dance for several years. One, two, three, one, two, three, one, two, three. I couldn't move on. And I was stuck. I was unaware that I had choices and tools that I could use these tools that are designed to change the things I can. I just needed the awareness to use them. I was stuck, however. And I found out a place where people would go to try to get unstuck with their corner and no way out. And I took advantage of that. And I went in this five or six days. My children were not probably eight and 13 at this point. Before I tell you about that story, there's another little story that is all about awakening. And this was, this is what leads me to this share. I heard a story again from an AA speaker, maybe at an Allen on anniversary event, uh, about a man who woke up after a week of detox, completely foggy and not even knowing where he was, how he'd gotten there, and looked around this tiny little room and this tiny little bed, this little white bed, this little white dresser, this little white lamp, and a tiny little white table, and just, just what happened? And then I get here. And he wandered around the room, until he looked at a mirror above the dresser. And he kept staring and going closer, closer, closer to the mirror. Until down in the corner, he noticed in very tiny little letters, you're looking at the problem. I think that was a moment for me when I can say this, and I now believe it, that if I'm not the problem, there is no solution. So I went to this place of being stuck, not knowing where to go, what to do. I could not improve the situation. It was awful. Again, divorce proceedings and children were 
very ravaged by this disease. One cutting and the other went silent for a moment. Stop talking. So while I was there in this program at this location with some people, this was uh, pretty intense, and I was chosen to go last. What they did was after a few days, three or four or five days, they asked each person to that. We were asked to act out our fear and use anything in the room we wanted to, props, people, chairs, anything, to act out our fear. And again, I was chosen last. One of the things that I was the sympathy case, or the hard case, but maybe I wasn't. That took one woman and put her in a corner, facing the corner not saying anything. The, I took another woman and put her in a different corner and she was spinning around and calling out, Daddy, help me, dying. And then I put a woman laying down on the floor and uh, I put a guy in a chair just be, behind the woman lying on the floor. It was a large guy. I kind of thought he looked like Buddha balding and large. And I put him in a chair, just sitting quietly. Someone said after a little while, what's going on here? And I said, well, my daughter over there, who is uh, suicidal, cutting, doesn't want to live. And this is my other daughter in the corner who has stopped talking. And I don't know how to help them. I'm paralyzed. I can't move. And uh, she said, Who's this on the floor? And I said, that's my wife, my alcoholic. She said, who is this in the chair? And I said, that's Seren. So after what seemed like an incredibly long 10 minutes or 15 minutes of agonizing thought and quiet, I eventually stepped over the person on the floor and reached my hands out to serenity and held and held his hands. That was a big awakening for me. And it's hard for me to tell that story. So I went back without awareness when I was leaving this exit interview and the person there said, I asked what really happened here this week. This is incredible, but I'm not sure what happened. I was still, still digesting and processing this whole thing. And she said, Eric, all we tried to do this week is to get you to shift your feet, just maybe one degree. You know, just shift your feet one degree. And maybe you'll stop banging against that wall. Like a fly trying to get out a window, banging up against the glass over and over and over. The window right next to it is wide open. So I came back and started really working my program. Got a sponsor, had sponsees. They took service positions, started new meetings, started a men's group meeting, started a four-step meeting, got very involved in public outreach. And the result was that the awarenesses and gifts started pouring in. I began to experience the priceless gift of serenity. A stimulus situation eventually did improve, not perfectly. Uh, my marriage did not last. But now I had some peace, moments at least, and I would guard, I now realize uh, how important this was for me, that, that I guarded this serenity with my life. It was my Olympic medal. And I am very aware that I can't get to the Olympics by going to the gym once a week. I'll move on and, and start to wrap up with this. We don't in Amazon have anything called promises. Some people would like to have this list I'm going to read to you as the promises, as I know in AA, there are such. But uh, a lot of people refer to them as the gifts. And see if this doesn't sound familiar to those in both programs. And it's from our book, From Survival to Recovery, page 267-268. And if you have a hardcover, 269-270. If we willingly surrender ourselves to the spiritual discipline of the 12 steps and work our program, our lives will be transformed. Members work the program by being willing to attend meetings on a regular basis, reading Al-Anon Alateen literature, getting a sponsor, working toward applying the 12 steps of recovery in their lives, and becoming involved in Al-Anon service work as they begin to recover. Now, in the book, these aren't numbered, but 
me being me. I like to put numbers and like the acronyms. I like little things that I can try to remember. I like this. The steps have numbers. Traditions have numbers. So I put numbers on these. It's not in the book. One, we will become mature, responsible individuals with the great capacities of joy, fulfillment, and wonder. Though we may never be perfect, continued spiritual progress will reveal to us our enormous potential. Two, we will discover that we are both worthy of love and loving. We will love others without losing ourselves, and we will learn to accept love in return. Three, our sight, once clouded and confused, will clear and will be able to perceive reality and recognize truth. Four, courage and fellowship will replace fear. We'll be able to risk failure to develop new hidden talents. Five, our lives, no matter how battered and degraded, will yield hope to share with others. Six, we will begin to feel and will come to know the vastness of our emotions, but we will not be slaves to them. Seven, our secrets will no longer bind us in shame. Eight, as we gain the ability to forgive our families, the world, and ourselves, our choices will expand. Nine, with dignity, we will stand for ourselves, but not against our fellows. Ten, serenity and peace will have meaning for us, as we allow our lives and the lives of those we love to flow day by day with God's ease, balance, and grace. Eleven, no longer terrified, we will discover we are free to delight in life's paradox, mystery, and awe. Twelve, my favorite, we will laugh more. Thirteen, fear will be replaced by faith, and gratitude will come naturally as we realize that our higher power is doing for us what we cannot do for ourselves. I can almost read those without the last two paragraphs say it all. Can we really grow to such proportions? Only if we accept life as a continuing process of maturation and evolution towards wholeness. Then we suddenly begin to notice these gifts appearing. We see them in those who walk beside us, sometimes slowly or haltingly, occasionally in great bursts of brilliance. Those who work the steps change and grow toward light, toward health, and toward their higher power. Watching others, we realize that this is also possible for us. Will we ever arrive, feel joy all the time? Have no cruelty, tragedy, or injustice to face? Probably not. But we will acquire growing self-acceptance of our human fallibility, as well as greater love and tolerance for each other. Self-pity, resentment, martyrdom, rage, and depression will fade into memory. Community, rather than loneliness, will define our lives. We will know that we belong. We are welcome. We have something to be true. And that is enough. I can say with absolute certainty that I've experienced every one of these gifts, not every day, but often and more often as I stay in my program. I came in to find my voice. I stayed to learn how to use it. And as I grow, I learn when not to. I had this experience two days ago with my older daughter. She's now 24. She called me on Wednesday morning, unusual that she called in the morning. And she was in tears and anger. She she lashed out at me and full of resentments and blame and hostility and fear, saying that I didn't help her. I didn't teach her. I wasn't there for her. And for years, I wasn't. I didn't say anything. I listened. When she had calmed down and stopped, she was surprised because I didn't interrupt. I didn't say, but, yeah, but you were here. You were away in treatment. Your mom was away. I was doing the best I could to say any of that. When she finished, I said, I hear you. I am here for you now. And I love you. And later that night, I got this text. Thanks for being the best dad ever. I love you too. And so in closing, the more I seek awareness, the more it finds me. As I continue my program, I receive awakenings and abundance on a daily basis. And I am granted serenity to accept the things I can't change and the awareness that it takes courage to change the things I can and the awareness and wisdom to know the difference. And that's a lot. And that's enough. My gift. Thank you. I hope you found something in my share that speaks to your life. Thank you all. Thank you. Thank you, Eric. I guess it's my turn now. I am Spencer, and I am, as Eric said, I am a grateful member of the Worldwide Fellowship of Al-Anon. 
I count my surrender date as April 2002. So I've got almost 20 years in Al-Anon. I'm still learning. Thank you, Eric, for that share. That was really moving. So I'm going to follow up. Eric talked about awareness, and I found in March 1962, 60 years ago, Bill W. wrote a column for the grapevine titled, What is Acceptance? Well, it's a difficult question. It's a question with a lot of answers. Today, I want to share maybe a few of the answers that I have found to that question, or I'll share at least some of my experience, strength, and hope. And I hope that maybe you may find some answers to that question for yourself, and that my sharing may help you in that quest. So Bill starts his essay writing about the serenity prayer, which we all know, but I'm going to say it again anyway. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change. Courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. And then he says... Greatly emphasized in this wonderful prayer is a need for the kind of wisdom that discriminates between the possible and the impossible. Hmm, possible and impossible, discriminating between the possible and the impossible. And that's really what we're talking about here when we talk about acceptance is if we can, if I can, let me bring that back to me, be personal, if I can distinguish the possible from the impossible, I can then, hopefully, with some work, with some serenity, accept that the impossible is here. It's there. I can't do anything about it, the impossible. But now I can look around and see what is possible. And I'm going to share some stories about that. I'm going to start with one from today. Earlier this afternoon, I booted up my laptop to work on this talk, and it crashed. I booted it again, and it crashed again. I finally got it to come up, and there was an error message. And I'd seen that error message before. I'll come back to that in a minute. I looked up the wisdom of the Internet about this error, and it said I should take a backup, and then I should completely reinstall my operating system. I was like, but but, I have to give a talk in three hours. Just what I needed to see, you know, three hours before I'm supposed to share here. All right. I may or may not be able to restore that laptop before I'm supposed to be here talking to you guys. Uh, But what can I do? First things first, plug in the laptop and I start taking a backup because that's the first thing that's recommended. And then since... Yay, pandemic, I've been working from home for a couple of years. I have my work computer. So I'm actually using that for this talk. I can accept that my personal laptop is not healthy. I can take appropriate action to deal with that, that hopefully in the longer term will give that back to me in working order. And I'm taking a different action, which is using my work laptop so I can be here with you. And I said, this is not the first time I had this error pop up, but the first time I was like, eh, whatever, it doesn't look important, the computer's working fine. Hope it would go away, or at least hope it wouldn't cause problems. And I just got to say, yeah, I was not in acceptance at that point that there is a problem, but also that totally parallels the way that I initially dealt with alcoholism when it reared up in my life. And we'll talk about that a little later, too. Bill continues, he says, sometimes we have to find the right kind of acceptance for each day. Sometimes we need to develop acceptance for what may come to pass tomorrow. And yet again, we shall have to accept a condition that may never change. So today I accepted that I need to reconstruct my laptop. That's part of my acceptance for today. But I'm going to go back a bit. I'm going to go back, well, 20 years plus before I entered my program of recovery the Al-Anon program. I certainly had not found any kind of acceptance of my loved one's alcoholism, except maybe that form of acceptance that we call resignation. I was not recognizing it as alcoholism. I wasn't willing to apply that word. I had been programmed by society that this was a bad thing that I had to feel shameful about. 
I just knew she drank too much and it was wrecking our lives. And I was, I was supposed to somehow fix it because that's my job as a male in our society, as a husband, as a father. I'm supposed to fix things when they're broken. Nothing I tried worked so far. And when I couldn't think of a new thing to try, because I tried pretty much everything I could think of, I'd just try something I'd already tried before, hoping that maybe, maybe this time it would work and she would stop drinking or just drink normally, damn it. And of course, you all know what came of that. Yeah, nothing. I did not make the situation any better. I probably made it worse. I definitely made my situation worse by building up resentment and anger and frustration. And we know what trying the same thing over and over again, hoping for a different result is. That's one of those definitions of insanity that really applied to my life. And that it was really easy to see how in step two I needed to be restored to sanity. So at this point, I was aware that there was a problem. I was really not aware of what the problem was. I certainly wasn't accepting it for what it was. But I was taking action. I was taking all kinds of action. And Eric mentioned our little slogan of awareness, acceptance, and action. I was jumping straight from some sort of awareness, straight to action. My actions were fruitless because I wasn't taking action on something I could actually do something about it. So that went on for a while. And one day, one day I heard something that I might have been told before, but that day I heard it, I accepted it into my heart. A simple declaration, which we call the three C's. We had three A's, now we get the three C's. I heard it, and in that moment, I knew that I did not cause her alcoholism, that I could not cure it, and that I could not even control it. In that moment, I accepted this thing that Bill says. I accepted a condition that may never change. I had no evidence that her drinking would ever change. And this was at a time when she was trying to stop drinking, but as far as I could tell, it wasn't working. Now, this acceptance that I couldn't cure it, I couldn't control it, might seem to lead to hopelessness, but in fact, in that moment, I felt like this huge weight came off of me. And that illustrates for me the power of acceptance, the power of admitting that I am powerless over alcohol and its effects on the person I love, and thus its effects on me. That by admitting that powerlessness, by taking step one for a moment, I felt this relief. I felt this weight come off of me. And doing that, accepting my powerlessness, it freed me up to do something for myself. Because my life was still unmanageable, and if I couldn't fix it by fixing her, then, you know, what do I need to do? I need to do something. But I don't know what. But it freed me to reach out for help. It freed me to call a friend who I knew was in AA and to ask him about Al-Anon. And he said, there's a great meeting around the corner from my home tonight. Would you like me to take you over there and introduce you to some people? And I said, being the very confident, assertive person that I am, I said, I'll have to think about it. I thought about it for about 30 seconds, and I called him back, and I said, yes, please. And that was, as I said, almost 20 years ago when I took my first step into accepting that I could not change her. But I could find the courage to ask for help that might change me, that might change my situation, my life. I'm going to jump forward a bit, pick up another thing that Bill says in the essay. He says, all of us will encounter failures. There will be illness and death. How indeed shall we be able to accept these? And that brings me to a new story. About a decade ago, maybe a little longer, denial is powerful here, my mother started showing signs of some sort of dementia. And you know what my first reaction to that was? 
Yeah. Denial. I would say things like, well, we all forget stuff. She's just getting old and forgetting more. And along with that denial came anger. Because I was angry at the bad hand that was being dealt to her and thus to me. You know, her mother had died of Alzheimer's and and damn it, she's not supposed to get it. They're, they're supposed to have fixed it by now. Why haven't they fixed it by now? Darn it. I was angry at the symptoms. This is interesting to me. I was angry at the symptoms. I was angry at the forgetfulness. I was angry at the repetition and the confusion because I couldn't fix them. But also they reminded me of living with active alcoholism. And I still was not over that even after 10 years in, in Al-Anon recovery. I could still be triggered by those symptoms. But also, why couldn't I keep on having the mother that I used to have? Why couldn't I have the mother who was smart and full of ideas and a you know, wonderful conversationalist? And <sighs> But, you know, I was... 10 years or something into Al-Anon, working a program of recovery, and that program of recovery encouraged me to accept things as they were when I couldn't change them. And you know what? I know I can't change dementia. It's a program that suggested living one day at a time, that I could live just for today, and a program that told me that I could find gratitude for the things that were good, even when the world around me seemed to be going to hell. Bill, again, he speaks of this in his writing. He says, Therefore, our very first problem is to accept our present circumstances as they are, ourselves as we are, and the people about us as they are. That is, to adopt a realistic humility without which no genuine advance can even begin. This is an exercise in acceptance that we can profitably practice every day of our lives. It can be the sure foundation upon which increased emotional health and therefore spiritual progress can be built. At least, this seems to be my own experience. And he says something then about gratitude. He says, another exercise that I practice is to try for a full inventory of my blessings and then for a right acceptance of the many gifts that are mine. I'm going to come back to gratitude again a little later. But he also talks of, I don't know what I might call bad acceptance. Acceptance is giving up acceptance as hopelessness. Acceptance, as I said above, resignation. And he writes, It is always worthwhile to consider how grossly that good word acceptance can be misused. It can be warped to justify nearly every brand of weakness, nonsense, and folly. For example, we can accept failure as a chronic condition forever without profit or remedy. We constantly try to remind ourselves that these perversions of acceptance are just gimmicks for excuse-making. Pretty strong words there, you know? And I have to say, how many times, I have to ask, how many times have I said to myself, it's hopeless, it's never going to change. Too many to count, surely, but also, surely, less frequently since I started coming to these rooms than before. The serenity prayer is there to remind me that there are things I can change if I can find that wisdom to know the difference so that I can stop wasting my time and energy on those things I cannot change. So, when I accepted that my mother... And several years later, my father were affected by a disease. That was really key to me. They had a disease that affected the way they thought, that affected the way they interacted with the world around them, and eventually brought them to a place each where they had great difficulty, even expressing what they wanted. And just as I had accepted the way in which my loved one's alcoholism affected her behavior, I could accept the changes in my parents' behavior as evidence of the progression of their eventually fatal illness. When my father pulled out the same photo album for the fifth time in a day, I could sit with him and listen to him tell the same story about each photograph. 
and when it happened again the next day, I could be there with him. And thus, through accepting where he was in his disease progression, by accepting that this is what he was now, I could enjoy our time together, rather than getting frustrated at having a look at the same damn pictures and hear the same damn story over and over again. I could say, this is meaningful to him. This gives him pleasure. And I want to continue to be with him. And so I can take pleasure in it too. I could enjoy our time together because, you know, I knew that our time together was not forever. And when my mother raged at us as a symptom of her dementia and raged at the caregivers that we had hired to help take care of my parents, I could recognize that this too was evidence of her disease and the way it was affecting her thinking. I could respond gently when she did not recognize my child, her own grandchild, and asked, What are you doing here? Same. It's your grandchild. He's here visiting you. Maybe that helped. Maybe it didn't. But I didn't yell at her, mostly. And I have to say that when I would visit my parents, I would always schedule at least one Al-Anon meeting during the visit because I needed that for my own serenity and sanity as well. Well, you know where this story is going, at least you probably suspect. My father died a little over a year ago, and my mother died a few months ago. And when that happened, my acceptance then went to my grief, that I needed to allow myself to feel it. When it welled up, and it still does from time to time, and it will, and I know it will, and I accept that it will, and this is part of my living. This is part of the fact that they were part of my life for a long time and that I miss them. And also I learned in the, in the before times, if you will, in the time before coming to recovery, that stuffing my feelings did a lot of harm to me. Stuffing my feelings led me to be a rageful, angry person who would explode at my children and my coworkers at very small provocations. And when I came, the first gift that my Al-Anon recovery gave to me that I recognize was the removal of that rage. And so I know that I have to continue to practice my program and that I have to feel my feelings. So when they died, I feel those feelings. I feel that grief. And yeah, I wish we could have had more time. I wish they could have had more time. But that's not how it works. It's not the way the world works. There's a song that that comes into my head that I remember from my youth. It was apparently written by Pete Seeger, but for my generation, it was popularized by the birds. And this song quotes from Ecclesiastes in the Bible. The song's called Turn, Turn, Turn. And it says, to everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season, turn, turn. And a time to every purpose under heaven. Time to be born, a time to die. A time to plant, a time to reap. A time to kill, a time to heal. A time to laugh, a time to weep. To everything, turn, turn, turn. There is a season. Turn, 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 and a time to every purpose under heaven. This whole song is acceptance. That everything comes along when it's its time. And it goes away when it's its time. And when I accept that, then I'm given the gift of serenity. Sometimes I need to be given the gift of acceptance. And you know what? Our steps, our program says we can ask for that. 
So I said I would come back to the practice of gratitude. Bill writes again, in times of very rough going, the grateful acceptance of my blessings, oft repeated, can also bring me some of the serenity of which our prayer speaks. Whenever I fall under acute pressures, I lengthen my daily walks and slowly repeat our serenity prayer in rhythm to my steps and breathing. There really was a lot to be grateful for in my parents' passings. They both died at home, which, man, during the COVID time, that's where you want them. They both died at home with people they loved around them. They both went peacefully in their beds, in their home. Sorry, just a moment there. My mother's last words were beautiful blue sky. She said those as we were getting her out of the car on her return home from her last hospital visit. She had loved to sit by the window, to sit by the window, look out at the hills and the fields and the sky and the lake that was below their home. So for her to comment on the sky, to notice the sky, just hours before she slipped into a coma, was amazing. I'm grateful that I had the privilege to be there in her last few days of life. And I had not, at this point in my life, read this passage from Bill's writings, where he talks about lengthening his daily walks and repeating the serenity prayer and rhythm to his steps and breathing. It's a beautiful image. I'm going to try that one. I hadn't read it, but I did take some long walks from their house. They lived out in the countryside, and so there were nice views and some peace, birds. Both of them passed in winter months, so there was also some cold and some snow, but that has its own beauty. And I, although I didn't repeat the serenity prayer as I was walking, I did take that time to reflect on what each of them had brought into this world, what each of them had contributed to the people they knew, what each of them had gifted to me in the six and a half decades that I knew them. It also gave me some privacy to let the tears flow as I leaned into that acceptance that they were gone and leaned into that grief standing in the middle of a field and sobbing. We memorialized my father's passing on Zoom back in the spring. And I shared my remembrance, and I cried as I was sharing it. And I was not ashamed that I did that, because it was real, and there's no shame in real. There's no shame in in actual grief, accepting that. And as I was writing out what I wanted to talk about today, I had tears in my eyes. And there's some tears in my eyes right now, and you might have heard a couple times a break in my voice because that grief does come up. But it's okay, you know? It's okay. And we will be memorializing my mother's life in a few weeks. We'll be doing that in person and the church that she and my father attended for almost 60 years. And I know that as I'm speaking about what my mother gave to me, about what I remember of her, that I won't be able to keep my voice steady. I won't be able to keep my eyes dry. And I know that that is okay. In fact, it's more than okay. Because it will celebrate everything that she was, everything that my father was, and everything that we were together. And I accept the pain because it means that I also accept the joy that was there. And again, coming back to Bill, he talks about accepting pain. Another helpful step is to steadfastly affirm the understanding that pain can bring. Though I still find it difficult to accept today's pain and anxiety with any great degree of serenity, 
I can, if I try hard, give thanks for present pain nevertheless. I find the willingness to do this by contemplating the lessons learned from past suffering, lessons which have led to the blessings I now enjoy. And when I go back, when I reflect on the suffering that I experienced as I tried to deal with my loved one's alcoholism and on its effects on our life together, it was that suffering that gave me the gift of desperation that brought me to these rooms and to the 12 steps and to the fellowship that I've found. And without that, I doubt, in fact, I am confident that I would not have the blessings that have been so freely gifted to me by the people in these rooms, by the program, and by the loving higher power that I found here. Thank you for letting me share with you. Good afternoon. I thought it might be only appropriate to pick a couple pieces of music to go with those talks. And you know, it's a little tricky finding music about awareness and acceptance, but I found a couple of songs. The first song, which you can listen to on the website at therecovery.show slash 380, is Edie Brickell and the New Bohemians with What I Am. And just a few lyrics here. I'm not aware of too many things. I know what I know, if you know what I mean. I'm not aware of too many things. I know what I know, if you know what I mean. That's the chorus. And yeah, it's all about awareness, right? The song that I chose for acceptance is Hands by Jewel, which again, you can listen to at therecovery.show slash 380. And I want to read a few lyrics. If I could tell the world just one thing, it would be that we're all okay and not to worry because worry is wasteful and useless in times like these. I will not be made useless. I won't be idled with despair. I will gather myself around my faith, for light does the darkness most fear. My hands are small, I know, but they're not yours, they are my own. And I am never broken. Thank you for listening. Please keep coming back. Whatever your problems, there are those among us who have had them too. If we did not talk about a problem you are facing today, feel free to contact us so we can talk about it in a future episode. May understanding, love, and peace grow in you one day at a time.